The Dernion is a high fantasy world illuminated by exciting stories. Vendors and beggars cried their wares and their poetry. A custom among the poor in the city on the river was to give a little verse, or even song, in exchange for the pleaded alms. Demons came before all, then the bodied enthrall. No one above all, no sphere then reigned. No truth, and yet Arishta came. Sang a man, road-weary, wearing the beard of the drifter and the grievna, the short tunic of the itinerant preacher if Kylon's peripheral sense of him was correct. The man spotted him and drew up alongside, carefully sticking just in Kylon's periphery. Kylon muttered words indistinct even to himself, felt a coward, promised himself he would do more later. When a bankrolled warrior, he would seek this man out. He'd give the requested handout, which he could hardly do now. He and Talma were on a budget. They had always tacitly agreed that Kylon would provide their, albeit meager, coin for these nights out. Talmo's role was to arrange the outings and plan their romp around the city. He would hold up his end of the bargain tonight by getting them into a dance club that was exclusive, reputedly hazardous, and edgy. It was called the Death Drum. Two or three times I've asked you where you got that, that robe, said Kylon, speaking of the garb that clearly drew the eye of the odd passerby. The red robe was vibrant, yet dark, and the flowing fulsomeness at times narrowed it to a snug around the eighth elf, as if it were made to cling to the slimness of this particular linguistic. But Talmo, intent on the way, told Kylon he would give the story later. That was what Talmo always said about the dud, the robe that almost seemed a cape at times, but at others a full-blown gown. You don't want us to get lost in these southern streets. We call this the wrong side of town, but that's probably street lingo that doesn't penetrate. Be on the wall you live behind, said Talmo. The one in the good, said Kylon, calling on who might have the power to demonstrate to his friend the street smarts Kylon had earned in their many outings to all parts of Enamorath and even the countryside nearby. An odd fellow was Talmo, and seemingly so often at odds with himself. It was a quintessentially Talmo priority to look great on their nights out, as was the scrappy, tenacious pride he took in getting by with nearly nothing. If someone only knew a single fact about Talmo, that he lived under the bridge that was Enamorath's primary egress and ingress, his resplendent garb would have seemed an utter unlikelihood. When the cloak, that robe, hung unworn in Talmo's little home, its cloth was never wrinkled though he never did anything to smooth or maintain it, and it always looked perfectly clean, though Talmo's living conditions were, well, the wide outdoors. It was gem-dark red, but bore a Spartan brocade amid its entirety. Kylon was no garmentry expert, but it seemed to him that this fine pattern of gold thread was something special. At a glance, it would not seem so. Only upon a visual zoom-in did the shining yellow-to-white embroidery reveal that the geometry of lines connecting round shapes was a pattern of minuscule wyverns, the tail of one interlocked with the neck of an opposite, or one parallel. Interposed curves created golden circles. You would almost need a microscope to make out the creature's faces, the blades of their backs, and the slight nearly invisible lines of green, blue, and red. Those shapes interwove the gold in their wings, their bodies, giving each creature its own distinct color of the three hues that the rare, real wyverns possessed. They swiftly took Landrew Street south, away from the Arboretum, toward the city's center. 
Talmud stopped them at a vendor's cart. The man sold shoes, bundles of roses, and so-called dragon meat, which was actually not dragon. The street dish was some mundane, yet unidentifiable protein. The vendors called it dragon because the intense spiciness ignited the mouth of the diner. Besides the meat, flowers, and leather goods, the vendor offered small trinkets that apparently interested Talmo. The youngster presently held out an entitled palm to Kylon, not even glancing in the warrior's direction. He studied a package that looked like it might contain some kind of child's toy. From Kylon's position a little behind Talmo, he glimpsed that the flattish little box contained small frosty tubules of some kind, but he couldn't tell much at a glance. Kylon gave a copper and quickly, with a flash of elven dexterity, Talmo vanished the pack into his robe. When they got off of Landru to work their way deeper into the city, Talmo seemed to take as many cross streets as possible. Kylon saw parts of downtown and Amrith totally new to him. For the relative jaggedness of the path they cut through town, Talmo made his way confidently, did not ask for directions even once, nor hesitate a step. They walked into a tiny, apparently out-of-business place that might once have been some boutique or small trade shop. They went behind a rusted-out counter and down a short stairway as if into a cellar. Around the third corner of the downward stairwell was a door, above which was painted in a scraggly bright green font, Death Drum, and in the door a hastily chopped slit, wide enough for average-sized linguistic eyes. Fast-throbbing bass tightened the air in their little grotto of the urban waste. Talmo shouted into the door hole, Androvnan Hangover Blues number seven! Open up, let us in, said Talmo, shouting again, screaming again the title, even louder now. Then the bouncer's eyes and the hacked aperture cast them a downward gaze. Sorry, Mr. Last Week's Password, that ain't gonna happen. Kylon thought it was a tall male human he saw. Kylon kept quiet throughout the argument's first moments. Talmo always came through at times like these. His sprightly friend argued and the bouncer growled staunch denial. Only when Kylon was certain the bouncer, belligerent and possibly a little drunk, was going to break off all diplomacy, did he form the intention to say something. We've got a few circles, he was about to say. Just then, a different voice resounded. Is that Talmo, I hear? The words rolled out from deeper within the establishment, seemingly. The fragmented themes of Gryhelian, the Androvnan's native tongue, wore faint traces of the honking glidicide brogue, the accent of a city orc. Angro, said Talmo. The bouncer's head slid suddenly, jerkily out of view. The orc's smiling eyes, then. The door swung open. Arms thrown wide in the entryway, Angro shouted, You're early, you little son of a bitch. A city orc was by no means a rare phenomenon. The unique history of the city and the river had brought a strain of the species within the walls many decades earlier. They had perpetuated themselves among the populace and were now considered native to the city. Among human cities, or perhaps among all in the west, an amorith was unique in this way. Orcs of Androvenan heritage so certainly these Anamareth orcs were of the Clang T strand. But Angro did offer a first for Kylon. He had never seen an orc who bore a drum strapped to his chest and belly. It was a remarkably large drum at that, three feet in diameter and a foot thick perhaps. Talmo was a hugger and moved as if to embrace this Angro. He smacked the drum with a flat palm. The thwap of the gesture filled the air briefly, leaving a longer shadow, a resonant bass note. 
It's the fucking death drum itself, shouted Talmo. Give it a proper hit. The orc grabbed an implement that hung swinging from his belt. Before Kylon really knew what was happening, the unspeakable boom set his soul stammering and hollowed him of thought. That drum stroke was an obliterating assault. Kylon understood why the Yorkin tradition of the death drum was legendarily terrifying in the martial history of the Durnion. It haunted children's tales and somber mythopoetry alike, not to mention the human stage. The clang tees sounded it before battle, disorienting their enemies indeed. Kylon found he was holding his knife to Angro's throat, and that Talmo and more significantly the big human bouncer were trying to pry Kylon and Angro apart. On the laughing orc's breath was the Chirontho mead, and in his laugh was some kind of beyond-death carelessness. Kylon's world was muscle-to-muscle crush and struggle against some strange eastern enemy. The one and the good, fellas, said the breathless Talmo. The gatekeeper blathered the same, Kylon assumed in his own native tongue. Kylon came to himself, breaking off his gaze, the adrenaline finally releasing him. The orc yet grinned as Kylon's ears rang, filled with the gauzy after-effect of the sonic blast. Angro paused with his implement upraised. Kylon would not give in to the bluff, nor could he fail to admire the poised drumstick. He would see it again in the eye of the deep mind for hence weeks, where it shimmered there in the same hall torchlight, but the torchlight of some dream of a dream. It had a head of a silver human skull about the size of a Denian fist. One of the skull's eyes was a sapphire, the other a ruby. No further blow fell, but that Angro swept them into the dance club with a gesture. Fuck this, Kylon said to Talmo. He spoke low. But there was something else between the two adventurers. It will be all right, said Talmo's look in return, whereon the men followed after, but Kylon with dubious alertness. Let's grab a drink after my sit, said Angro, but I got to get on stage now. With that, Angro the Orc left them. Though Kylon's visits to the Death Drum had been at its prior location, the venue was almost as Kylon remembered, dark with sorcerous lighting effects providing a weird, many-colored tracery. The lurid and dark chamber was so loud that conversation would have to be screamed. The people in the nighttime club danced a whole different dance from those in the Enamorath ballrooms or even the body ends of the entertainment quarter. This was the hip dance club subculture of the West, wherein they jostled their bodies freeform to the music, raised their arms and splayed their fingers, swayed and shook hips, did all their own individual things, instead of something adjoined and predictable in its crystalline cliché. The source of the music was a band of three who were elevated in a corner. Where they stood was less of a stage, more of a large box. One musician played a harpsichord, the other a harp, though the altered sounds hardly accorded to the timbers of such instruments. There was a drummer whom Angro would shortly, presumably, replace, when he would begin playing the eponymous death drum of the club. But there was also a wizard, a speaker on that box of a stage. For in the Durnion, mages of any persuasion might try a hand at sonic spells, at metamorphosing harmonies for art, even entertainment, turning away from pragmatic purposes for a time. Of this black-robed wizard, Kylon could see only a shadowed suggestion of mouth and nose, for he or she was everywhere else cloaked, but the person's lips did move, producing the speech that loudened all the other's instruments. More than that, contorted, attenuated, squelched, or enriched the string voices into otherworldly versions of themselves. The harpsichord and harp melodies were exhilaratingly more solid against the ear, somehow, than everyday plucks and blows could have been. 
The drums now struck Kylon's body with more force and attack than could any mundane percussion. The instrumental tones were somehow flatter. Yes, Kylon would have said they lacked some for the little natural ups and downs that disclosed a linguistic hand in the notes fashioning. But the weird euphony of these strums was more exhilarating, more of that very night, more of those people in that abandoning moment, mundane, unsourceled music, resounding in some more average dining hall or banquet room, could not have so enthralled him. Angro ascended, big drum protruding absurdly, swinging before him with his gait. It struck the harpist, who was just taller than Angro's drum was high, and knocked her down to the dance floor. It was a short, harmless fall for the Denian harpist, whose species, some said, was as famously nimble and fleet as the northern elves, those recluses unto the arbor. The band was reunited soon to set forth their new air. Angro pounded the death drum. The wizard sang, interposing lyrics with the themes of musical transmutation that went unheard to the audience. His voice, too, was made weird and ethereal by his craft, resounded through the hall as if filtering in through a world of steel cookpans and echoing canyons. Down. A crooked elf in a straight-laced town showed me how to dig down. The soaring chorus seemed to carry the crowd to further realms in their ardor for the night, where they lost themselves entirely. To Kylon, to join such far-gone revelry seemed insurmountable, as if it might be impossible to break in from a place on the side. I've forgotten how to dance like that, said Kylon. There isn't a how to it, said Talmo. Your dancing certainly has no how, said Kylon, but he spoke at a normal volume, which here was no more audible than a thought. How could we forget drinks, said Talmo. Fine, fine, you twisted my bollocks, I give in, said Kylon. He ordered five liftmead shots. He and Talmo had each made it through two when Kylon saw Rebecca on the dance floor. Rebecca was his classmate in the language of the West with Professor Nikylos, she for whom Kylon honed his bored intellectual stare. She spread her arms, brought them into her chest, spread them again in time to the rapid beat, body quaking comically a little in the wake of the death drum's bones. Her short black hair shone, and she must have known a few themes for that slinky costume to remain hung by some spoken-like power about her athletic frame. Maybe she used the same spell to keep her thigh sheath from slipping. Or perhaps she just had fantastic fastening skills. It seemed providently unlikely that she should be there at the same time as he, playing hooky of the same eve. Then again, Kylon reasoned, she had not been specially dissuaded by Griffram. Damn you, he told himself, for allowing Griffram into his thoughts. Matters of discipline or of the stupid risk he was taking by coming out tonight, fouled his mood. Even despite the scintillating sounds, the drink, and the sight of the girl. Was it just him, or was the motion of her shoulders more slyly precise and thoughtful than that of any other dancer? Her shimmering gown's knee-length luster, its clinging flip, were they more revealing and seductive than those of any other? Perhaps she had no classes in the morning. However, the death drum as a locale definitely earned a reprimand for anyone especially if your dad was a magistrate. Kylon had heard rumors that it was so, that her father had a high-up post in local government. Kylon spoke of her presence to Talmo. He felt like he'd said nothing as the tremendous speech-amplified music drowned his words, kept him from hearing his own voice. He had been going to share his plan to sidle up to Rebecca. He found Talmo was gone, 
Kylon preferred this as he started taking stock of his chances. Better for him if they diverged to their own respective missions, whatever they be. In fact, Kylon usually veered away from Talmo when they arrived on the dance floor. The urchin owned a tender place in Kylon's soul, yet among such revelers as these, the thought of his friend's elbows and knees brought warmth of shame to the young warrior's cheeks. Talmo's dancing was absurdly bad. Kylon should have seen he was in a bit of a fix. However he might approach Rebecca, it would be his first time speaking to her. She had been around only about a week. Their glances in class and across the battle yard were just that. Actually, were the glances truly theirs, meaning looks they shared, or more like just his? Kylon thought he would not find the courage to approach her. But he ordered and shot back two more lift meads. The entrancing world of the crowd was suddenly his own. He was limber and nimble as a denian. He decided to march in with a zero chit-chat. The loud music made conversation so delicate and awkward. When he crashed into the middle of Rebecca and her girlfriends, he made a dance of bowing, standing straight, bowing, standing straight. At the same time, he somehow managed to shake and judder like those around him, in time to the world of dance. When he glimpsed Rebecca, it gave him surging uncertainty to see she had not recognized him. Kylon thought she took him for some stranger. She hooked arms with her friend, who was a nice vehicle for escape. It was the old, rescued-by-a-friend approach. Hey, I'm that cute guy in your... he said. However, the death drum once again obliterated his words. It took them from his mouth, just as it had muted so much human courage, bravery, and fighting spirit over the years of the ancient war against evil and the great war against Gaffel. Damn its effectiveness on both fields, battle, and dance. He considered tapping her on the shoulder and pointing at his face, painting on a big smile. But even among the roiling death drum patrons, he thought touch might disturb her too much. She thought she did not know him. Kylon relapsed to what he knew best, fighting. He didn't assault her, which would have been measurably scarier for all involved than what he actually did. It was a kind of battle dance attack. Kylon made blades of his hands and half crouched into a defensive position, as if ready to viciously spring. He made the dance club into the battle yard. Sure, he had misgivings. Was this beyond even creepy and into infandum? The fact was, the protos of their age group had rarely studied or practiced Brostmeither. He swooped and slashed with his arms. The arcs were wide and aggressive, but also a kind of bold choreograph. He was possessed of total control with this new style of dance. He felt now that he loaned his moves and energy more precise, closer to the kind of smooth exactness that could really impress a girl. He could really get into the notion of martial arts-based dance. Mysterian doctrine preached the supreme importance of peripheral vision. So, in his own, Kylon was certain he noticed Rebecca noticing. His artistry got her attention. Or, because it looked like a threatening posture, it alerted deep reptilian brain sensors of the kind the women could not recognize to deny. Either way, heads turned and postures all around rotated toward Kylon. The girlfriend, Rebecca's erstwhile rescuer, pointed and laughed at Kylon. He chose to take it for appreciation. He decided he liked. What was her name? Griselda. First, only on a quick pass did Rebecca meet Kylon's eyes with her own. But then, delight brought her back in a classic double take. He rose from the deeper crouch and threw intimate little jabs, knuckles pointing right into her lips. He moved much more slowly, obviously, than if he were actually going to punch someone. And Kylon maintained at least a forearm's distance for safety. 
Rebecca threw up her arms and pretended to suffer the blows. She held up prostrate hands and made jerky, flouncing gestures of the body. But she recovered and went on the offensive. She took up the crow's beak, a maneuver in which she held hands together as if in prayer, using them to throw single monolithic blows. Kylon took one and doubled over. But on the next, he spun round, falling most of the way to the ground. He felt he had to give her that, as the attack was pretty creative. They both laughed. You're that guy from my languages class, right? She said that or something like it and favored him with a kind smile. Rebecca's smile went all the way to her eyes, the way Dagnar Prospero's narrator would have described it. Kylon nodded dumbly, felt himself to be grinning like some hollow-brained inane troll. She said something too low, and he made the hand-to-ear gesture, their bodies continuing to pay some attention to the beat of the death drum. She moved nearer, grinning not so kindly, more like wicked in fact. She put a hand to his cheek to help aim her voice right into his ear, where her words and breath curled. The lift meads hit him all over again. All she was saying was, I'm so sorry, love, but I don't know your name. He told her, You're Rebecca, right? He said. She nodded. The dance fight is so, so fun, she screamed, shoving him playfully away now. I'd never have guessed you'd be so, so light-hearted. Thanks, said Kylon. Or good? Was it a compliment? Rebecca swung her hair wildly, then only to crouch. She wiggled her hips in that position. It was magic for sure that her slight and shimmering dress didn't rip. When she spun toward him and he saw what she wielded, Kylon's leering inner spat alarm. A real knife with an 11-inch blade. His practice-honed vision automatically showed him the outer millimeter or so, gleaming from a fresh wet and razor sharp. Rebecca's thigh knife plunged toward his shoulder. She was strong as hell. As he blocked, Kylon felt she was playing, and that she might have overpowered him if she had been serious with the attack. At the end of it, he held her blade. They more or less stopped dancing as he admired it, holding it on flat palms at prime distance for examination. The sporadic light of the death drum allowed little certainty as to detail. It was a Boskelion blade of that much he was sure. Kylon knew the primary design, metal handle and red jeweled pommel. He peered closely at the steel above the hilt. Cool, huh? She said, an accompanying glance. That singular eye flash only a warrior wore, and only for the sharp implements of her own most. Really, of the ancient words? Said Kylon, fingering the engraved symbols near the base of the blade. If the actual thing, they were elven, and from the time before, humans had either of their own alphabets. From my mother's side, she said. Wow, Kylon said, and meant it. Before the Mysterians were Mysterians, they were Boskelions. The special order still existed in rumor, and it went all the way back to before the first Master Mysterian. If one's mom was one of those, Kylon realized now what he had been sensing all along, what he had been drawn to probably since he'd first seen her. She was bent toward the warrior's way, the deep-minded Mysterian fight of the self, in some way that only heritage can do to a person. He was lost in the knife's facets, frenetic light giving lie to his mental image of the weapon now and again, the symbols all the more captivating for that elusive cast. Rebecca swayed before him, understanding what ran through his mind, perhaps. He looked up from the deep red jewel to her. She slowly raised crossed arms, smiling a little, an invitation to resume their warrior's dance. But what shattered, this nice moment struck her first. It crinkled her face and dissolved her imaginary defense. She had to put the back of a hand to her nose and walk away. The mortifying stench was like a thousand trollish homestone piles. 
It was as if rot itself had discovered a way to rot. As in the first moments of any disaster, no one could be sure who was at fault. This was way beyond normal dancing funk for even death drum dancing. Talmo's face was smudged black when Kylon glimpsed it in the strobing, colorful light. Even though the filth was enough to render Talmo's features invisible, Kylon knew his dance. As if to seem inconspicuous, Talmo did a hip-wiggling, knee-swinging thing he often did. And Kylon sensed he never did these things ironically. Talmo bounced his eyebrows up and down like some yestertime jest monger. If his garb was a feat, his moves were pitiful. Before Kylon moved to banish Talmo, send the little shithead home, he shouted to Rebecca that he was going to fix this. Do you know him? said Rebecca. I've definitely seen him around, Kylon said, which was not at all a lie. Are you going to come back? said Rebecca. You bet your sweet Boskelion ass I'm coming back, thought Kylon as he walked away nodding. He took Talmo by the back of the robe and dragged him far enough to spare at least some in the place's smell. The fuck, said Kylon. Below the club, you said no more treasure hunting bullshit, said Kylon. It had not taken him long to associate the smell with a past experience, a months ago episode in Talmo's wealth-seeking gambit. The pair had descended into the ancient undercity of Enamorath. I did. I wouldn't argue with that, but... Go the fuck home. I'm about to get to know her, Kylon said. But, more exactly, I said it was unlikely anything at the death drum would help us in finding the treasure, said Talmo. There is no us in treasure, said Kylon. Oh, you know you want it, man, said Talmo. Kylon had heard this before. We made a deal, and so I came with you. Go home. Kylon was disgusted. He shoved Talmo at the door. But Talmo had a springy resilience, so Kylon shoved him harder. But Talmo sprung back yet, almost more readily than before. Kylon remembered what a weirdly effective fighter Talmo was. Kylon's anger grew, approaching that point at which he felt it in his skull, at which it made his scalp throb. All those hours of helping you with your vocabulary... Talmo said. I'm never going to need that stupid, dead language, said Kylon. Talmo put on shock. Only Kylon was not sure it was entirely pretend. Good. Tough-faced. Talmo muttered some of the gibberish-sounding Vrugan words, working his way up to the usual relish he took in old tongues. Talmo's resilience, his obstinacy, was so annoying. That was all part of Kylon's resentment in the moment. You don't just want a passing grade, even. You want to be absorbed, said Talmo. That hung in the air for a moment. Kylon repeated the command to go home, but then found himself listening. Talmo had a way of doing it to him, causing him to set aside fears and worries to listen to his soft convictions. So Kylon shook his head but listened. Talmo did paint a tempting picture. The lead he had discovered in his excavation so far, in the ancient sewers under the death drum, left over from Breltic times and even older, sounded remarkably promising. So you see, it's a tiny errand. I've struck upon a box, said Talmo. A big buried box, said Kylon. He turned this over for a moment. You found your box, so what do you need me for? You didn't even notice that you just saw her for the first time, said Kylon. Into Talmo's blank stare, he continued. Rebecca Thary, the girl from the class? Oh, is that all, said Talmo. We're talking, she and I were dancing, said Kylon his scalp edging back toward pulsation. Oh, I understand your urgency, Talmo said, craning his neck in her direction where she was not quite out of sight, or she was standing with a hand on a hip for some reason. 
the other hand was at her face, certainly being used to clamp her nostrils. I mean to say, I hope that's all you're worried about. I can get you back to her in five minutes. Lift box, check contents, replace box. Resume presa suvesa. He flipped a hand dismissively in Rebecca's general direction. This rugic phrase meant something like conjugal dance. Kylon would learn so the next day, when he managed to look it up, alert to Talmo's tendency to creatively insult him in obscure idioms. Mostly, though, sympathy did it to Kylon. The help with his studies was hours spent by Talmo, who was an archon of the street, who'd been battered and bashed a dozen times, and who often went hungry. Talmo already led him with little beckoning gestures as they spoke. Now they moved in back areas of the club, striding into roped-off niches of the place. Unexpectedly to Kylon, a door slammed shut behind him. He tried it to no avail, then banged it with his shoulder in total futility. Oh, and I meant to say, nice Boskelion knife, said Talmo. Shit, said Kylon. Shit, shit. How would they get back out there? Well, the best way out, they always say. Have you heard this old saying of the elves? Is through. I forgot how bad you are with geometry. Anyway, I thought you were resolved to assist me. Immediately, agreeing to this descent seemed a mistake. Was Talmo playing him? She's looking at the clocks. Where is this fucking guy with my family's hallowed heirloom? Said Kylon. The beautiful babe. Boskelion babe, said Talmo. Let's get this over with, said Kylon. He could never have admitted, perhaps not even to himself, that the mention of a big buried box was tantalizing. They eventually stood in a room with a sad desk, a safe, and other accoutrements of a management office. They slipped through a door behind which there was a descending spiral stairway. No, never. Talmo would not play Kylon, would not cheat him, would not take advantage. He would pressure Kylon into helping, but only because Talmo was a little obsessed, a little blind to how far out he'd gotten with his treasure hunt. Kylon could at least say for Talmo that he would never take advantage of a man's conscience. The two young men descended into the hyper-black beneath, the stinking underground.